This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. I don't know the first thing about investing my money, and it is all so overwhelming, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I love that Acorns makes it so easy, and how you don't need a lot of money to get started. So head to acorns.com creepers, or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com creepers. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC, Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. I'm sorry for you because, you know, it's like I've been saving all of my rants and complaints until we've, do you call this on air? Till, till the mic is hot. I've got things to say. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. This is going to be my segment of the session, Sammy segment <laughs> session. And it's everything that I deem as a true crime. And if you've been here a while, you know that Kristen and I define those things very different. So nosy with the light on people. This is for <laughs> us. We've got a lot of grievances to air today. All right. Give it to me. I mean, truly, where do I begin? I mean, where do I begin? Do you want to talk about the view? Do you want to tell the people about the view you have right now? <laughs> so Mogab got a new laptop. Great laptop <laughs> in most ways, <laughs> except for one particular design flaw. Where they put the camera at the bottom by the keyboard. I mean, is this not the most flattering view you've ever seen? It's straight up. I mean, (laughs) a millennial did not design this because every millennial knows you take that picture from above. Yeah. Like this is. I literally, mine is on the top of my camera. Plus, I also have my laptop stacked on a FabFitFun box, not a sponsor, a (laughs) Harry Potter book, the entire collection of the Bachman books like it is stacked up so I can try to get a little bit from above here a a nice angle for my girl yeah and the best part is like this recording goes nowhere you're doing all of that just for me and I've seen all angles you know (laughs) so it's like I can't imagine so I want to circle back to the to the FabFitFun box comment don't forget about that I love my <laughs> okay, money back. Just got one in again yesterday. <laughs> I know I have no money. I spent it on FabFitFun. <laughs> I've always wanted one of those, but I'm like, I haven't, I haven't reached that payment threshold. It's only four times a year. <sighs> okay, well, we'll circle back to that. But <laughs> here's the thing: you wouldn't think that this camera situation. Well, first of all, how many times have you bought a laptop and you never even used the camera on it? I mean, I've never. No. Ever. And now here we are in every meeting I have. quarantine. Right. Mm -hmm. Every meeting I have is 
freaking video meeting. And now I'm like, what am I going to do? Right now I have it lifted on a box. You still, I mean, you only see two chins right now, but I have more (laughs) if it's lower. I've lifted it. (laughs) But not even that. You know what the worst part is? Oh, it's the worst part. This. Oh, I can see your fingers when you're typing. Yes. Like directly. 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 So obviously. <laughs> when they're on a meeting, who is not doing other things on their laptop? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you are not, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Like that's, that's solid time you could be spending doing something productive. <laughs> so this has absolutely sent me into disarray. So what do I do? You know what I do. I take to Twitter. And I tweet it at <laughs> Dell. Because I have things to say. And typically, tweeting at a company really does provide solid results. And now they won't leave me alone. Dell, if you're not going to give me a new laptop, let it be. What are they saying? So I tweeted them and said, I need to know if whoever created this laptop is on a performance improvement plan at Dell. Like, that's what I need to know. (laughs) This was someone's suggestion. This was someone's suggestion to put this at the bottom. And I need to know if they were not fired with a Y. If they were at least put on a performance improvement plan and who they are specifically. But Uh obviously some robot or computer at Dell is just responding to these tweets. It's not some intern like I thought. And now they just keep every day I have a DM from them and it just goes to this like weird like messages thing. And it's just an automated response of we hate to hear you're having issue with a product. What can we do to help? And I'm like, recreate your laptop with a camera at the top. <laughs> but like, I don't have a real answer for you. Like, unless you're going to give me a new laptop. Anyway, so now we're in this like Twitter beef. But yeah, this is ridiculous. I mean, can you believe this? No, that's that's insane. Who, who would do it? Who would do it? I'm so mad about it. All right. Before we get started, we got to plug the Patreon. This is our shameless plug to join our Patreon. There's lots of cool stuff you get in return at the $5 level. You get a bonus episode every month. We released one in September. And next week, we're going to release the second one. I got a theme going. I'm doing cases that had movies done about them. So true crime cases that were made into movies. (laughs) And you get a shout out on the podcast at the $7 level. You get all of that, plus you get mini creeps, which are our mini episodes, two to three times a month. And we've got like six of those out right now, maybe seven by the time this comes out. I'm not sure. You're so ambitious. I am. And you get a sticker and a thank you card with our autographs. And at this point, October, you know, October 7th, 2021. Wax seals are still a thing. I'm sorry. If you're listening to this in three years, it's <laughs> probably not going to happen for you. <laughs> I'm just Yeah, guessing. can I get an intern? <laughs> I an intern. Uh, and then we also have a $10 level where you get all of that plus 20% off of merch. And we are going to continue to add perks to these different levels as we go. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. I wonder what you're telling me about tonight. I hope it's – how dark is it? Um, okay. <laughs> is it a sad story? Yeah. Probably so. All right. A big thanks to Alexandra Cronin for her article, The Link Between the Disappearances of Two North Texas African-American Women 
that appeared in Local Profile, which is a magazine out of Collin County. And also a big thanks to Jessica Stevens, who recommended this case and sent it to me on my email. Or sent us an email with this case. What the f*** am I trying to say? Why do you sound like an old person? Sent it to me on my email. It's like Russell called his iPhone the other day a camera phone, and I about fell out. (laughs) He's like, sent it to me on my email. (laughs) Like you're 95 with an extra large iPad. (laughs) I know, exactly. All right. In late 2014, Tiffany Johnson moved from her home state of Iowa to Euless, Texas, which is a suburb in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's actually like right in the middle of Dallas and Fort Worth. She had a twin brother named Asher who'd been living in Euless for a while. And so she moved in with him in his apartment and then she got a job in insurance. She'd been living there about a year when she met Chris Revel. I'm not entirely sure I'm saying his last name correctly, but he sucks. So I didn't check. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I know you're automatically out on someone when you're like, I'm not really sure if I'm saying that. but Yeah, there are other people that I definitely looked up (laughs) to make sure I was going to say their name correctly, but not him. She was about 24 and Chris was in his 30s, fresh out of prison where he'd spent the last three years for burglary with intent to commit assault. Oh, boy. Yeah, he had ties to the Crips, a notoriously dangerous street gang who loves the color blue. I was just picturing a crip doing an OOTD. (laughs) Bandana blue, shirts blue, pants blue. Shoes. Bleed blue. blue. Bleed blue. (laughs) (laughs) He was covered in tattoos that said things like vicious and crip hard and kill them all because he also had Ben Franklin's portrait tattooed on him. Oh, what a scholar. A gentleman and a scholar. Gentleman and a scholar. But also the portrait of a man whose mouth was duct taped and was bleeding from the forehead. Oh, God. And then also behind his ear was the insignia that read, It is a reasonable inference that tattoos reflect things near and dear to the heart of a tattooed person. So the man loves Ben Franklin. Wait, all of that was behind his ear? That's what it said in the court documents. He'd been out on parole when his sister introduced him to Tiffany. And it seems like right from the get-go, he was not the best boyfriend. And by not the best, I of course mean jealous, controlling, and aggressive, which are the exact words that Tiffany's twin brother, Asher, would later describe him as. Tiffany moved in with Chris at his mother's house, and there are a few instances while she was living there that neighbors took note of. One time around May of 2016, Chris was in the driveway and Tiffany pulled up in a car and she got out and she started walking towards him, but she stopped when he started rushing up to her. The neighbor said Chris got in her face and Tiffany looked down and away. So Chris grabbed her arms so hard that Tiffany cried out. The neighbor heard Chris yelling at her because she hadn't picked up her phone when he called and she said it was because she'd been driving. But Chris just kept yelling at her and trying to lift her face so she'd look at him. The neighbor said Tiffany looked scared, and she finally turned around, got in her car, and left. The next incident was very similar circumstances. Once again, Tiffany pulled into the driveway of Chris's mom's house while Chris waited for her. This time, it was her clothes he was mad about. We're talking summertime in Texas, and she was wearing a perfectly fine summer dress. Not that it matters what she was wearing. But even the neighbor said there was nothing inappropriate about her dress. Again, not saying that it matters. (laughs) But once again, Chris got in Tiffany's face, yelling at her about her outfit and grabbing her arms angrily. Tiffany's Aunt Janelle came out to Texas to visit Tiffany and Asher, and she was not impressed at all with Chris when she met him. She said that while she was there, Tiffany had been having some car troubles, and she'd asked Chris to go look at cars with her, but he was playing video games at the time. So he snapped at her, telling her he was too busy and she could go by herself. So busy. You're not busy. You're not. You're not busy. You don't know what busy means. <laughs> I didn't plug the console. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and that's where this true crime story would have ended. I would have unplugged the console. That's where it would have begun. It. Yeah. True. <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah. Later, after Janelle's visit ended and she'd gone back home, She and her boyfriend were on the phone with Tiffany, walking her through a repair job on her brakes, which I would never even attempt because I would never trust myself. But good for Tiffany for trying. Well, I'm like, over the phone? Like, I'd at least try a YouTube video. 
Yeah. And she was really struggling because some of the parts were really heavy. And once again, she'd asked Chris for help, but he wouldn't. So she ended up having a mechanic look at it. I'm out on him for sure. Yeah. Tiffany's mother, Deborah Johnson, said that Tiffany would also call her all the time to talk about her relationship with Chris. She said several of their arguments had been over what she was wearing or that she was wearing makeup, which Chris didn't think that she should wear. Deborah said Chris thought Tiffany should be wearing frumpy clothes so other men wouldn't look at her. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'm always wearing frumpy clothes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the red flag here is anybody trying to change what you wear. But Tiffany started doing just that. She started wearing less makeup. She stopped doing her hair as nicely. And she started wearing baggier clothes. Around May or early June 2016, she moved back into Asher's apartment, but she brought Chris with her. And Asher noticed how jealous and controlling Chris was. Wait, like she brought Chris with her as in like Chris also moved in or like Chris was coming over? Like Chris also moved into the apartment with them. Because Chris was living with his parents, also Mm -hmm. in Euless, Texas. Yes. Mm -hmm. About 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes away from her apartment is where his parents' house was. Deborah said Tiffany told her that he'd grab her wrists and her upper arms and tell her that if he couldn't have her, nobody could. Deborah told her to break it off with him because it just wasn't healthy. And in August of 2016, she finally did. Love to see it. Love to see it. Chris moved out of the apartment she shared with Asher, but he'd still come over almost every day to hang out with Asher. Oh, come on, brother. A lot of the times that he came over, Tiffany wasn't there, or she'd stay in another room and avoid him, and Chris would just pepper Asher with questions about whether Tiffany was talking to someone else or cheating on him. Can't be cheating if you're broken up. Yeah, tell that to any narcissistic, abusive man ever. And I don't truly understand, like, the dynamics between Chris and Asher. It seems like from certain things that they were friends, but then it also seems like he knew what Chris was like. Like, it wasn't like he had the wool pulled over his eyes. So I'm not really sure what the dynamic here is. If he was, like, intimidated by Chris and Chris was using him as a means to stay close to Tiffany. He was spying. Yeah. But Tiffany had moved on anyway and definitely did not want to be with Chris anymore. By October of 2016, she'd started talking to a guy named – guess what his name is? Russell. Russell. Stop it. I'm not even kidding. Another Russell. <laughs> Why are there so many Russells? <laughs> I don't know because I really never heard that name until I started dating one. Me either. I knew one Russell my entire life growing up and then your boyfriend. And that's the extent of the Russells that I know. But now we've done like 10. 10 I know. This guy's name was Russell Brown. And shortly after the breakup, Asher's girlfriend, Jessica Smith, moved into the apartment with him and Tiffany. How many people are in this place? Just the three. So Chris moves out. Jessica moves in. And Jessica and Tiffany worked together at the insurance company. And it seemed like it was just a better situation with the three of them living together at this apartment. Great. Yeah. But then on October 10th, 2016, within a 90-minute time frame and surrounded by friends and family, Tiffany Johnson vanished. Wait, what? What do you mean? Surrounded by friends and family, she vanished. That night, Tiffany, Asher, and Jessica were all at the apartment together, and Tiffany was getting ready for Russell to come over. They weren't dating yet, but Tiffany had invited him over to cook dinner for him, so it seemed like it was heading that way. Yes. Tiffany was excited for her date to get there, but the mood came crashing down when someone knocked on the door, and it was Chris and not Russell that had arrived. Of course. Now, there are conflicting statements about what Chris was doing there that night between what was said in the court documents and at trial and what the Johnson family said later. Who are the Johnsons? Tiffany and Asher? Tiffany's family, yes. Her parents or her mom. The court documents said Asher had texted Chris earlier, inviting him to come over to watch Monday Night Football, not realizing that Tiffany had invited a date over. It said that Chris showed up with a six-pack of beer and shots that he'd picked up at the corner store, like those ones that come in the plastic, you know? Uh, yes, I'm familiar. <laughs> oh, yes, I wasn't. a little foil on the top. <laughs> yes. Well, 
And both Tiffany and Jessica were really surprised and not happy at all to see Chris there. Jessica said it was really confusing and they didn't know what to do. And later evidence that was collected does support that it was this line of events. And from what I could tell, this is what was said at trial later. So, But in the local profile article that interviewed the Johnson family, they said that that wasn't true, that Asher had not invited Chris over, that he had just shown up at the apartment to pick up some stuff that he'd left there when he lived there. I'm not sure why they said that since Asher was quoted in the court documents, but I wanted to throw that out there because I'm not really sure why they have conflicting stories. And I'm wondering if it's maybe they like feel responsible in some way when they really shouldn't. There's one person at fault here. Right. Either way, according to Jessica, Tiffany did not want Chris and Russell in the apartment at the same time. Yeah, uh, obviously. (laughs) I never want that ever. So she had come up with a plan that she was going to drive to Walmart and meet Russell there. And after Chris stepped outside onto the balcony to smoke a cigarette, she told everyone that she was going to go to the store. And Asher thought she was going to intercept Russell at the front gate to keep him from getting up to the apartment. So Asher went out to the balcony with Chris where it overlooked the parking lot and they had a view of Tiffany's car. And Asher said he watched her back her car up, but her brakes started failing. So she pulled back into the parking spot, and Asher said he could see a puddle of brake fluid under the car. Tiffany sent Asher a text to tell him that her brakes weren't working again, and he just sent her a text back saying he'd driven her car earlier and they'd worked fine. I'm like, bro, they're not working now. (laughs) (laughs) Can't you see the fluid? Can you not see the fluid? He's not winning Brother of the Year award, I'm just going to say it. (sighs) Yeah. Once Chris realized that Tiffany was having car problems, he went down to the parking lot while Asher watched from the balcony window to make sure everything stayed civil. He saw Chris stop Tiffany, and he could see them talking near Chris's car. And their conversation was getting loud, but Asher couldn't make out what they were saying. He could tell that Tiffany's body language was screaming for Chris to leave her alone. According to Asher, their conversation didn't look aggressive, so after watching them talk for five to ten minutes, He went back inside the apartment, and after another 10 minutes or so, Asher went back out to the balcony and saw Tiffany walking back from the front office building, which was by the gate. Okay, but those two sentences, like, to me are conflicting. How can her body language be saying all that and you don't think it's aggressive? So I thought about that, and I'm glad you asked that. I'm really trying not to place blame on Asher because... I truly don't think that any of this is his fault. Yeah. The conclusion that I kind of came to was, especially not knowing their dynamics. I don't know this relationship between Chris and Asher. There just wasn't any information about that that I could find. And so I think that this is what happens when people are not educated about red flags and what an abusive relationship looks like. Like you just think it's jealousy or Mm -hmm. a little control, but you're not, like, categorizing that as abuse, and you're not saying, like, this is a bad situation, Mm -hmm. and she needs to get out of it. Like, the mom seemed to know. Like, Deborah Johnson, her mom, could recognize this and could tell this was not a healthy relationship. But I just think, like, Asher was, like, you know, 25 when this happened, and just probably isn't aware of these signs. Yeah, mamas just be like that sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. They just know. And I guess we don't really know also the dynamic between brother and sister. Like, you can't just assume they're close. I mean, that relationship, you know, you don't really know. Yeah, I think they were pretty close because she did move there to move in with them. They're twins. Yeah. Well. But, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot that we don't know. And that's part of the problem of these cases not really getting the coverage. But, yeah, I just don't know. So after another 10 minutes or so, Asher went back out to the balcony and he saw Tiffany walking back from the front office building that was by the gate. He didn't see Chris, but a few minutes later, Russell showed up at the apartment without Tiffany. So what I think must have happened is when Tiffany realized that she wasn't going to get to Walmart to meet Russell, she must have called him or texted him and just told him to come over. Or maybe she like walked to meet him on foot and they like bypass each other. Yeah, I was like, maybe she walked up there to let him in. But then I'm like, why wouldn't she just jump in the car with him? I don't know. 
Russell said he'd tried to talk to Tiffany in the parking lot, but she'd been talking to Chris and she told him to go inside. So Asher, Jessica, and Russell continue to monitor Tiffany from the balcony just to make sure she was okay and to try and figure out what was going on. So who's down there now? Tiffany and Chris. That's it. Tiffany and Chris. Yeah. And they had moved to the side of the building where there was this large grassy area next to a series of one-car garages. They couldn't see Chris or Tiffany, but they could hear them. Eventually, Chris came back upstairs without Tiffany. And Asher said he seemed upset, like something was off. He said it seemed like he was trying to be calm and that it was just a weird vibe that he was putting out. Chris introduced himself to Russell, grabbed the beer and shot glasses that he'd brought over, like whatever was left over, and told Asher, I should have known this all along. And Asher figured Chris was implying that Tiffany had been cheating on him when they'd been together, even though this is literally two months after they'd broken up, you pathetic, jealous little man. <laughs> loser. Loser, loser, double loser. <laughs> Asher asked Chris where Tiffany was, and he said that she jumped in a car with a mechanic. A what? A mechanic. He said a mechanic had come yeah, to the apartment. Like, she jumped in the car with him. I'm sorry. Has anyone ever tried calling a mechanic or AAA? They at least takes three hours. Like, I've never seen any car person come within two hours. Right. And also, why are they leaving without the car? Like, her car is still in the parking lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, good point. I just couldn't get over the wait time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. And I... Like, forgot about that until I'm rereading this. And I'm like, hang on a second. If she jumped in a car with a mechanic and left, how is he working on her car? It's still in the parking lot. What mechanic is making house calls in the evening? If Russell's coming over for dinner, it's at least like six, right? Even if it's like five. No, this it was a late night dinner. So this was like around nine o'clock at night or so. Okay, so what mechanic is like working at nine o'clock to come yeah. pick you it up? It seemed like she had, like, they weren't like, she didn't go to, like, real professional mechanics. She went right. to, like, guys she knew that kind of knew how to work on cars. And so maybe it could have been one of them. Got it. But again, how are they working on her car? It's still in the parking lot. And Asher said he hadn't seen anyone else in the parking lot except for Tiffany and Chris. No other cars, nothing. It made no sense that a mechanic would agree to work on her car this late at night or that Tiffany would decide to leave the apartment to get her car fixed when Russell is there. Yeah, that's stupid. Asher could tell something was wrong, so he, Jessica, and Russell all tried calling Tiffany, but none of them could get through to her. After about 15 minutes, Asher and Russell went down to the parking lot, and they saw her car was still in the lot, and her keys were on the driver's side roof. Asher and Russell kept looking for Tiffany, and they got to the side of the building on the other side of those garages, and what they saw there made both of them stop. Chris's car was backed over the curb onto a grassy area that was on the other side of these garages. Right. With the car doors open, as well as the trunk. There was no legitimate reason for him to be parked there. It was not a place that anyone would normally park. And Chris was standing behind the car with the trunk open and was looking down into the trunk. And knowing that Chris had a dangerous past, Asher was worried he might have a weapon. So instead of walking up to him, he and Russell decided to circle back to the rear of the building where he'd have a better view of what Chris was doing behind the car. But by the time they got there, Chris had already driven away with his trunk closed. Wait. So there's the apartment building and yeah. these one-car garages. Mm-hmm. And it was on the other side of those garages that there was, like, this open, grassy area. But there were, like, parking spots that lined up against it. And he had backed his car up over the curb. So, like, like his trunk is Like, when he got the there originally or during this whole, like, fight they were having? That's where he was when they saw him. Okay. I don't know. I doubt he was parked there before. So it would have been after the fight. It would have been, like, after he left. And like, they're he trying grabbed to his stuff and left. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he'd already driven away by the time they were able to circle around the building to try to get a better look at him looking in the trunk. When Asher and Russell walked up to the space that Chris had just been standing in, they saw Tiffany's phone and one of her socks lying in the mm. grass. And I think the sock was never definitively connected to Tiffany, but it looked like a sock that she had worn before. But there wasn't like enough DNA to definitively say it was hers. As well as 
the plastic shot glasses that Chris had brought with him to the apartment. There were a few of them in the grass as well. Asher said they looked like someone had tried to stuff them down the storm drain. The shot glasses? Yeah, because they're like the plastic ones. They looked kind of warped. Asher tried calling Chris several times as he watched him pull out of the complex. And finally, after several missed calls, Chris picked up. Asher told him that this didn't look good and that he needed to get back there right now. Chris told him it sounded like Asher was blaming him for something. Hmm. But he said he'd do a U-turn and come right back. He'd just driven out of the complex a few minutes before, so it should have taken him less than five minutes to get back, but he didn't come back. Of course not. Asher continued to call him over and over and over, and the next time Chris answered, he said he was on I-30 and the police were pulling him over, and he hung up. So Asher and Russell went back to the apartment and told Jessica what they'd seen, and apparently she should have been with them this whole time because it was finally her brilliant idea to call the police. I was just about to say, he said he was getting pulled over, but they had never called the police. No. Police took about 15 minutes to respond, with Officer Smith arriving at the apartment a couple minutes before 11 o'clock that night. Asher and Russell and Jessica all spoke to the officer and told him everything that had happened that night. Officer Smith asked Asher to call Chris again, and Chris actually answered. So Officer Smith got on the phone with him and asked him where Tiffany was, and Chris told him he didn't know, and that when he'd finished talking to her, she'd been speaking to some old man about getting her car fixed. Like in person? Yes. Well, now he's not clear, I don't think. He's not clear if she's on her phone or if it's in person. He just said she was speaking to some old man about getting her car fixed. So Smith tells him he's going to be listed as a suspect in a missing persons case and asks him to come back to the apartment. And Chris said he was on his way. Yeah, you better boogie, boy. (laughs) He did not boogie. (laughs) There's no boogieing. There was no boogieing involved in this at all. It took Chris an hour to get back to the apartment, even though he only lived about 20 to 30 minutes away because he's back living with his parents. Yeah, so now he's like moseying, like a little Mm -hmm. less boogie. A little more mosey. Moseying, except when he showed up, he was sweating profusely and out of breath. Oh, no. He said it was because of the heat in his car, but it was October and in the 60s that night. A gorgeous night for Texas. I was going to say, that's surprising. Yeah, like 64 degrees that night. So your car's not Is this apartment on the third floor? Because mine is, and when I get up to it, I'm also sweating and out of breath. True. It was at least on the second floor, and there were three, because I did uh, drop a pin and look at this apartment complex on Google Maps, (laughs) and it was a three-story apartment complex, so they they were either on the second or the third floor. I would suspect they were probably on the third floor because of how much spying they were doing without getting noticed. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Asher had told Officer Smith about Chris parking by that grassy area, so Smith kind of wanted to see if Chris would lie about it. So he asked him why he'd parked near the dumpster, which was in the spot furthest from the grassy area. And Chris took the bait, and he said that he was throwing out receipts and loose trash in the dumpster. 
But later, Officer Smith looked in the dumpster and didn't see any loose receipts or trash, only trash bags. So he's lying. What's in the trash bags? I don't know that they looked. But there's no way that he could have gotten her in a trash bag and thrown her away in the amount of time that he had. Chris gave Officer Smith permission to search his car, and when he did, he saw there were several other large items in the trunk, including an ice chest. And it didn't seem to him like there would be room to fit a body, but the other officer there, Officer Fagan, who was a woman, <laughs> disagreed. And she said she thought a body would have fit in the trunk. Tiffany is not alone. In the ice chest or in the trunk? In the trunk. No yeah. word on if they checked the ice chest. I mean, I'm hoping they opened all those things. I'm sure they did. Even with the ice chest in there, Officer Fagan said there was still room to fit a body. And Tiffany's not a large person, you know. Mm -hmm. They would later find leaves on the floorboard, and there were plant stickers in his tires, showing that he probably drove through grass or brush. Officer Smith also checked on Chris's story about getting stopped on I-30, but there were no records of such a stop. So Chris explains this away by saying that he hadn't actually been pulled over. An officer had pulled up alongside him and told him to watch his speed. Mm. And that's what he meant when he said he was getting pulled over. Which could be true, but not at this blame buffet. Detective Pat Hines came out to the scene and talked with Chris. When Chris again denied parking his car in that grassy area, the detective told him that the tread marks left there matched the tire treads on his car, which a forensic scientist would later confirm. And Chris said, ah, okay. All right. <laughs> Is that really what he said? Yeah. Haha, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Quoted in the court documents. Ah, okay. All right. <laughs> I love that. Detective Hines said the thing that really stuck out to him in this interview was Chris's use of distancing language when it came to Tiffany. He never used her name, and he just referred to her as that girl or she. That girl? That girl. Ooh. Yeah, that girl that you dated for like a year and yeah. said that you were going to marry. Like two months before, he'd been texting her like, I'm going to marry you. Like all Or like stuff. even my friend's sister. Sister, you know? yeah. That girl. No, that girl. Chris never expressed any concern for her. But he seemed very concerned about his car and about being late for work. He said, I'm feeling like everything's being stacked against me. You're taking my car. I don't know how I'm going to get home. I don't even know if I am going home. And Chris would not go home. Ha <laughs> 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 After that, Detective Hines decided to read Chris his Miranda rights and arrest him. So Chris went to jail that night and law enforcement went to his parents' house where Chris was living to search it. And in the backyard, they found, like, scattered items in the backyard. They found a bra in Tiffany's size <gasps> that looked like it had been pulled until it snapped. Like, the clasp was all the way stretched out. And they also found a woman's shirt, a broken Fitbit, and a man's shirt. All in the backyard? In the backyard. Oh, yeah, and Chris's, I don't, and Chris's parents said they'd never seen those items before. And none of them, again, there was, like, there's, like, no DNA found in this case at all anywhere. So those items wouldn't be, like, definitively linked to Tiffany, but the bra size was her size, so. Can't you get DNA off a bra? Like, I'm sweating and there's, like, skin cell. I mean, there's definitely DNA on that. Right? Like, you think so? Uh, I, yeah, I, w <laughs> I would. <laughs> I'm just wondering if somebody just didn't know how to do their damn job in this case, because. I mean, that's what I'm saying. They didn't find DNA anywhere. Yeah. I don't understand that. Detectives went to talk to two men that Tiffany had asked to work on her car. One was a coworker of hers, and the other was a guy who said he'd repaired Tiffany's brakes at her apartment two days before she went missing. But he told her that because she hadn't gotten the right part, her brake fluid might leak, and if it did, to call him and he'd come right over and fix it. And so Tiffany had texted him that night, and he told her that if it wasn't an emergency, he'd rather fix it during daylight since he lived about 40 minutes away. And also, he was married, and his wife was with him that night. And when Tiffany didn't text him back, he assumed she'd gotten someone else to fix her brakes. And I think this makes me, like, more sad than you would expect, because I just think about, like, if she hadn't had these brake problems, she would still be yeah. here. 
Like, she would have just driven off to Walmart and met Russell, and, like, none of this would have ever happened if she just hadn't had these brake problems. Or if just Chris wasn't a shit human, you know? It's, like, <sighs> car trouble, you know? Yeah, but that's, like, a bigger issue. I mean, you know, abusive right, yeah. relationships are, like, such a bigger issue, and this is, like, this one little thing. If this one little thing had gone right, you know, like, this one thing. Yeah, maybe. He probably would have done it anyways, like, next week, which is the sad thing. But, yes, I understand what you're yeah. saying. Maybe so. But there was nothing to hint at where Tiffany could be, especially since the security cameras at the apartment complex weren't working at the time. Yeah, or the security gate, probably, or the, like, lights. I mean, ugh. Yeah, or anything else. Leasing offices, answer for your crimes, please. I'm coming (laughs) for you. There was no blood found in the grassy area. There was no DNA found in the trunk. I don't know. I disagree. I feel like, yes, but there is more... I feel like, quote unquote, clues here than I feel like we usually get. I mean, we got items left at the scene. There's a phone, a sock. We got bras in the backyard. Like it's a country but concert. None- I mean, I don't <laughs> understand what, what is happening. I feel like there's something that they should have been able to find. I know, but none of the items they found in the grass or in the backyard had enough DNA on them to be definitively linked to Tiffany. She was just gone. Nearby in Fort Worth, the Islam family was watching the news and they saw Chris's mugshot come up on the screen on a piece about Tiffany's disappearance. Immediately, Hadia Islam recognized the man. She hadn't seen him in 10 years, but she said she would never forget his face. (gasps) Is that her ex? When she heard that Chris was saying Tiffany just got into someone's car and left, alarm bells started going off in her mind. Because that was the same thing that he'd told her after her sister, Taliba, disappeared. (gasps) Oh, no. Yeah. The Islam family had always been close. Taliba was the youngest of three sisters, but also the tallest. I love that name. I know. Everyone called her slim because she was so tall. Hadia said she had a huge smile and was always making jokes and trying to make everyone laugh. Taliba met Chris Revel something in high school. But they didn't start dating until they'd gotten back in touch after high school. And they were together for two years. And Hadia says over the course of those two years, Chris grew increasingly violent. Taliba became pregnant. And when she was nine months pregnant, Chris punched her in the stomach and in the head. No. She called the police on him. Was it Chris's baby? Yeah. mm -hmm. Baby was fine. But... She didn't know that at the time, and she called the police on him and filed for a restraining order. And when she had the baby, a boy, Chris tried to come to see her at the hospital, but Taliba's mother stopped him, ordering him to leave and to stay away from her daughter. But they couldn't order Taliba to stay away from Chris, try as they might. When Taliba got out of the hospital, she tried to make it work with Chris. And we've talked in the past, especially in our um, Marissa Alexander episode, about abusive relationships, but statistically, it takes about seven attempts to leave an abusive relationship before they finally can and do. And leaving is the most dangerous time where the abused partner is significantly more likely to be killed. And that's why it's so important to know about resources that are available to you if you are in situations like this. We will list them in the show notes, but you do have options. I also recently learned something really cool. Um, I'm going to say I read an article about it, but I saw it on TikTok. Oh, so you saw it on TikTok. (laughs) I recently learned that it is a law in most states that if you are experiencing domestic violence with a partner you live with, you can qualify for early termination of your lease with no penalty to you. You can break Hmm. that lease. You do not have to continue to live with an abuser because you can't afford to break a lease or because you're worried about what they would do to the apartment if you left. So take advantage of those laws. I know there is that law in Texas, and I know it's in Illinois because that was where this girl lived that was talking about it. Yeah, and so check your state, but it's most most states have this law. And if you don't, if your state doesn't have that law, like let's write some letters mm-hmm. because it's necessary. Abusive relationships get even more difficult to leave when there's a child involved. Which is why in January 2006, Taliba and Chris were still not broken up, but they weren't living together either. 
On January 16th, 2006, Taliba went to Chris's house to drop off their son, who by this time was like three months old, Mm -hmm. so that Chris could spend some time with him. And while she was there, she and Chris got into a huge fight. Chris's sister, who was only identified in the local profile article as Kay, witnessed the fight and said it ended with Chris punching Taliba so hard that she screamed and said, I think you broke my jaw. (gasps) Taliba called her best friend Christina and she whispered to her, telling her that she was at Chris's house and asking Christina to come pick her up. Christina was the last person to speak to Taliba. The first few days after she so went wait. missing. Okay. I was like, did Christina get there? And then just you know, Chris didn't say anything? Like, I don't know where she's at. The article just said that she had asked Christina to come pick her up and nobody heard from her again. And unfortunately, there's nothing about Taliba in the court documents. So there's no, nobody testified about this case. And it got very little coverage. Yeah. I don't know what this Chris guy looks like. Like a loser. The first few days after Taliba went missing, no one was really concerned. A lot of times when she and Chris had especially bad fights, she'd leave. She'd go to a friend's house to cool off or something. But after a week, Chris called Hadia and said that Taliba had left their son with him and never came back, and he couldn't take care of the baby any longer. I was wondering what happened with the kid. Uh-huh. Couldn't take care of the baby any longer. Right, for more than a week. Which is really shocking to me, because he seemed like such a stand-up guy up to this point. Yeah, what a, what a, what a gem. What a gem. Diamond in the rough right here. Hmm. Hadia and her family took in the baby while waiting for Taliba to come back. Hadia was sure that she'd come back for the baby. She said that after Taliba had him, she seemed to change. She'd calmed down. She just wanted to be a mom. But when she still hadn't come back after 16 days... It was Chris who filed a missing persons report. He said that Taliba had come by to drop off the baby. She left the house and got into a dark green four-door sedan. He told police he didn't know whose car it was. So same exact story as when Tiffany disappeared. Taliba's family was left with no answers, and Chris never spoke to them again. There were no leads into her disappearance, no searches, very little coverage, and Chris had never even been investigated as a suspect. But why? I already know why. And Taliba never came home. Hadia says back then she was in her early 20s, and she didn't know how to handle the situation at all. She didn't know how to advocate for her sister, and she regrets not taking her disappearance more seriously right away. For 10 years, they searched for her. They posted flyers with her picture on them everywhere they could. They made t-shirts. They did everything they could to get the word out, but no one was listening. (laughs) Taliba's son turned 16 this year. (gasps) Oh, no. Her case had been cold all that time until 2016 when Tiffany Johnson's disappearance made the news. The Islam family came forward with Taliba's story, and Tiffany's family was shocked. None of them even knew Chris had a son in Fort Worth, probably because Chris hadn't been a part of the boy's life since he was three months old. So the families joined together to search for the girls. They searched thousands of acres around the Fort Worth area, but there's tons of forested lands, and searches mostly rely on luck. The article even talked about this one search that it was like an area that had been searched by search parties three times and before the body was found in a spot that had like practically been walked right over by search parties. Even with the most careful planning, it's really easy to miss things on these searches. Yeah. A private investigator named Paula Boudreaux, she's been working on Tiffany and Taliba's cases, and she says the cases are nearly identical. Both were parts of abusive relationships. Both are still missing. And even Chris's excuses were the same both times. But they are different in one major way. With Taliba, no one knew that she was missing for a full week. So he had all that time to figure things out and cover his tracks. And then he made the police report, which gave him complete control of the narrative. He was able to make himself seen as the distraught boyfriend. So did he make the police report because he was like, okay, obviously she didn't come back and get this kid. And now I've got to like 
Maybe. I don't know why he made the police report, except that I think he wanted to be in control of what was said. And he knew that her family was going to make the report eventually. And they'd be able to tell them all about this abusive relationship and all of that. But in Tiffany's case, he didn't have a week. He had 90 minutes. And right off the bat, police suspected him. So he had no time. They had tracked his cell phone, but it didn't give them much insight. It showed him near the apartment, and then it showed him near his parents' house. But even the 90 minutes, like, weren't they calling him the second they saw him drive off? I mean, I know the Mm -hmm. police came later, but, like, Mm -hmm. Asher and them were like, oh, like, in minutes, Mm -hmm. calling him. Yeah, and it was like, so he came to the apartment, grabbed the beer and the shots, because what a winner. You need to... Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Like, he obviously just did something to Tiffany, but hold my phone. I got to go grab my... Hold my beer. Yeah. I got to go grab my my extra beer, my leftover beer. And my shots from the gas station. That then he left in the grass anyway. So they tracked his phone, and it showed him near the apartment, and then it showed him near his parents' house, like he said. But then it was either turned off or on airplane mode and it couldn't be tracked anymore. So they don't know where he was in that meantime. But his car was also caught on camera by his parents' neighbor's security cameras or at least a car that matched his car's description. Can't be sure that it was his car. And it arrived at his parents' house around 10 that night and it left about 40 minutes later when he would have been heading back to the apartment. So, I mean, that adds up. I can't get over how much... We've lost from the apartment security cameras not working. Like, mm-hmm. that could have solved all the of this. The whole right crime. Thing. Yeah. So, Paula thinks that if Tiffany is dead, then she must be hidden on Chris's way back to the apartment from his parents' house. There's just not much of a timeline to deal with and not much else that he could have done. So, I was kind of wondering if it wasn't on the way back from the apartment, but the way to his parents' house. When he was talking about getting pulled over on I-30, if he said that because maybe he was getting ready to get off the freeway to dump her body somewhere. Paula thinks Chris put her somewhere that was supposed to be temporary. And because he was arrested so quickly, he wasn't able to find a better spot for her. So A, it's not likely that she and Taliba are together. But B, I'm like, a spot that was supposed to be temporary but hasn't been found in five years? Yeah. I I don't know what these searches are looking like, but. But like anybody, I mean, even people not searching, like you were able to find a a spot so remote in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Like they're not in the country. (laughs) They're in like the suburbs of Dallas. Right. But Paula is looking for clues by retracing his life and just seeing what turns up. We got Texas EquiSearch on this or what? What's Texas EquiSearch? That's like the horses. They've like been known. They're like famous for. I guarantee we have very little searches, like government official searches going on over there. They're here. like an independent thing. They've, they're really cool though. Mm. I don't know. We'll I don't know. Go. Yeah, they should be. Tiffany's body has never been found. And because of that, police did not have enough evidence to prove that she'd been murdered. Ugh. But, silver lining, there was more than enough circumstantial evidence to support a charge of aggravated kidnapping. The sentences between aggravated kidnapping and murder, not that Uh, different. Oh, really? Not that different. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's it's not okay to aggravated kidnap somebody. Yeah, great. I just thought that there would be some major... Nope. It's not like rape, (laughs) where you get a couple months and then you're good to go. Yeah. On August 12, 2019, Chris went to trial. And the Islam family came every single day to the trial and sat with the Johnson family. There were several main points made at trial. Because this is a tough case to prosecute, you know? You you have a little no, bit, but I don't, not a lot. No. Huh. <laughs> no. The first was to show that Chris was a jealous, controlling ex-boyfriend. And they called several witnesses, including Asher and I believe Jessica, to testify to that. They also had a lot of texts from Chris's phone that showed a very, if I can't have you, no one can type of person. So they brought up the fact that Tiffany disappeared on the very same night that Chris discovered she had a date with another man and that that spoke directly to motive. So in the appeal, because the court documents that I read for this were actually the appeals documents, Chris trying to appeal and the court saying, 
sit down and shut up, basically. Mm-hmm. But it talked about how motive is not enough to establish guilt, but that it is a significant circumstance to indicate guilt. Add his motive to the fact that the last time anyone saw or heard from Tiffany was when she was speaking to Chris in that grassy area next to the apartment building and Tiffany cutting off communication with the entire world coincided directly with Chris leaving the apartment. Yeah, all of that happened at the same time. Yes. And you have a very strong circumstantial case for aggravated kidnapping. And this would be one of those instances where I would say this circumstantial evidence is like very strong evidence where a jury could reasonably infer that Tiffany was abducted and that Chris was the one that did it. Especially when that same person is the one offering an explanation for how Tiffany left. Like, I just saw her talking to this mechanic. She got in the car with him and left, and that's where she is. Yeah. Very suspicious and can't be verified. I asked some follow-up questions. Like, you're worried she's going on a date, but you're going to let her hop in the car with some homeboy? Right. And you're not going to stop her or ask who is this guy or – yeah. I wish that they could have charged him with murder, obviously. But like I said, sentencing for aggravated kidnapping can be just as harsh. But I'm like, okay, if he aggravatedly kidnapped her, but didn't murder her, where is she? Right. Also, I didn't even think about this. But if she did hop in the car with someone else, don't you think she would have gone up and told the guy that she had a date with? Yes. She wouldn't have done that anyways because she had- highly unlikely. Right. I could maybe buy it if uh, her car was not sitting in the parking lot and her date was not sitting up in her apartment waiting for her to come up. Somebody she liked enough to invite over to cook dinner for him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't know about you, but I am cooking dinner for literally nobody. So I would have to be very interested. I've been in a relationship for basically four years and I've cooked dinner four times. Okay. And you're way more domesticated than me. Oh, thank you. You think so? Appreciate that. Yeah, I know so because you just took that as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I did bake cookies last week. Oh, see, look at that. I eat the cookie dough. So I don't get that far. (laughs) 28 witnesses were called by the prosecution, many of whom testified to times that they'd witnessed Chris's jealous and controlling nature. They had those neighbors that talked about witnessing those arguments, family members, all of that. But he's still out dating more women. Like, that's what kills me. It's like, he did this one time, and everyone knew that he was abusive and violent and whatever. And then he was able to steal 10 years later, go date someone else and do the same thing. Yes. And to clarify, this is the second girl's trial. They don't, they, he's yeah. never been charged in Taliba. She was the first one. Never been charged in her disappearance. Right. The prosecution said that Chris was obsessed with Tiffany. A month earlier, he'd texted her saying he wanted to marry her. And that when he realized that she was moving on, he couldn't handle it, and he was not going to let her go. Because she's so cute. She is so cute. And she just looks like so, I don't know, happy? Yeah. Her dimples. I mean, she is like truly so cute. The defense called only two witnesses, but they made pretty compelling points. They brought up the fact that there was none of Tiffany's DNA found on Chris. So no signs of her struggling against him or anything like that. None of her DNA was found in the trunk of the car. The defense also said that there was a Brady violation when the prosecution didn't share with the defense that there was no DNA found in the trunk, which would leave the case wide open for appeal. So God dang it, can we quit doing that, please? Yes. Again. Yes. They're going to find out. The defense pointed out that investigators never even considered other suspects. And look, usually I see your point. I'm like, no, we've got to look at other suspects. But the prosecution was like, Chris is literally the only suspect who makes sense because he was the only person that was there. Like, there's a very small window of time where she disappeared. And her friends and family had eyes or ears on her that whole time until they didn't. And then it was just Chris. But it was a tough decision for the jury because Tiffany Johnson had never been found. 
But I think the fact that her keys were sitting on top of her car, her cell phone was found in that grassy area. They're pretty clear signs. She didn't just disappear willingly. They deliberated for around six hours. And in the end, they came back and found him. What do you think? Guilty. Guilty. Yes! Taliba had not been brought up at all during the trial. Unfortunately, there just had never been the evidence there to support a charge against him, especially with all that time that had gone by before she was reported missing and probably a very subpar investigation into her disappearance. Yeah. But at Chris's sentencing, her family got the chance to tell her story in court. And though he was never convicted of anything to do with her, the similarities in their cases made it clear enough that Chris was sentenced to life in prison. Yeah, I mean, he was, like, involved, (laughs) to say the least. He will be eligible for parole in 2046, and the Johnson family has every intention of fighting that when the time comes. So what? how long was he sentenced? Life in prison, but he's up for parole in 2046, and he was sentenced in 2019 is when the trial was. In prison, the same as the 15 years, or is this like legitimate life in prison? It, it is like the 15 years, but he's going to have to serve at least, I don't know, what's 46 minus 19? 27? teacher. So he'll have to serve at least 27 years, you know, unless they just let him go. Like, they tend to just do sometimes. And I'm like, well, how the hell is Adnan still in jail? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Taliba's sister, Hadia, told the press that justice for Tiffany meant justice for Taliba. The local profile article pointed out that if Taliba's case had been solved, Tiffany would still be alive. That's what I said. Yeah. But if Tiffany had never gone missing, no one would have ever been looking for Taliba. Hadia said she hated to say it, but that this would not have been possible without Tiffany. I mean, that is true and so sad. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, men could just not be shit humans, and then there wouldn't have to be a Taliba or a Tiffany. That that could happen, too. Yeah. Chris attempted to appeal the verdict on four points, and every single one of them was stupid, like him. (laughs) (laughs) First, insufficient evidence. Whatever. Whatever. Points two through four were about witness testimony that was irrelevant and prejudicial. And to that, I say, Chris... You're irrelevant and prejudicial. Yeah, two thumbs down for you, Chris. (laughs) Two thumbs down. But the Court of Appeals was like, no, they got it right the first time. Sit down. Shut up. We all know you did this, Chris. Every now and then a body is discovered around the Fort Worth area. And every time the Johnson family and the Islam family hold their breath, wondering if this is going to be when they finally find their daughter. But so far, it has never been. Hadia said she can't dwell on that and that she tries to remember her sister for her energy and magnetism and her goofy antics and the way she always made her laugh. And she makes sure to think about the good times, even though sometimes the bad times creep in too. And this episode will drop on October 7th. And I truly didn't mean for this to happen, but that means that in three days, it will be the fifth anniversary of Tiffany's disappearance. And in those five years, the Johnson family has struggled to move on. Her mother moved down to Euless with Asher, and Tiffany has a little niece now that she'll never meet. Her little niece's middle name is Tiffany, and the whole family laments the fact that Tiffany would have spoiled the little girl rotten, and it's a loss for them all. But there is still a part of them that holds out hope for Tiffany's safe return, and they continue to look for Taliba as well. They feel, as do I, like in a TV show. You know, you don't see the body, they're not dead. No, I never think that. That's really hopeful, though, and I love it. Yeah. And I I go back and forth because I'm like, on one hand, it's great to have hope. And then on the other hand, I'm like, there's nothing worse than having hope. <laughs> Spoken like a true Delta Gamma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, False at what hope, point I guess. Do you have a funeral? When it's, like, a missing person and there's no, like, like, did they have funerals? Do they, do you do that? I don't know if they had a funeral. If it was my loved one, I probably would not have a funeral. I would have a memorial service where we kind of, like, share. Well, yeah. that's I Like, guess I mean. celebrate their life and that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, is it shout-out time, Mogab? It's shout-out time. Shout-out time. Shout out. I want to call it a jingle. This is something that you're in. You, oh, Okay. 
I, I mean, I don't have it yet. Were you going to say this is something I'm in charge of? Yeah. I've been in charge of a charge lot of. lately. <laughs> okay. This is, I'm in charge of this. This is my greatest contribution. Major, major shouts to Ginny Moran. Major, major shouts to Donna, who always said Kristen would be famous. And she did. Love Listen, you, Donna. Donna. Thank you. We don't need that here. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Laura Zimmerman. Laura, thank you so much. Amanda Kay, thank you so much. Oh, I could just speak a French. Ooh. Oh, if I could do it right. Angel. Major shouts, Angel. Yes. Major shouts to Lynn. I love this one. <laughs> Caitlin, blame buffet, Bozen. Oh, yeah. And Pamela Beischer. Oh, my gosh, we Pam. Just get out talked of about in the AMA. <laughs> we did? Yeah, because I said oh, she was with me. Memory. Yeah, our first memory. She was there. Pam, <laughs> miss you so much, sis. Major shouts, Alpha Mu 2005. <laughs> hey, peeps and creeps. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and for following us on social media. We are basically moving from famous adjacent to almost famous because we've hit we're moving from famous adjacent adjacent to famous adjacent oh we were famous adjacent adjacent <laughs> yikes <laughs> I thought we were doing a little bit better so you heard it here first we need your help please follow us on all the social media uh, please I cannot be famous adjacent adjacent <laughs> so Twitter Instagram Facebook the Facebook discussion group all that's at Creepers Pod. And you can email us any case suggestions, feedback. Keep it kind, okay? CreepersPod <laughs> at gmail.com. And please tell your friends. If you liked this podcast, please share it and tell your they friends about it. They don't have any friends. If we're famous adjacent adjacent, that means these people are famous adjacent adjacent adjacent. Which means <laughs> it's not looking great. Okay, fine. We're famous adjacent. They're famous adjacent adjacent. You're right. You're right. You're right. All right. You're right. Also, a huge thank you to everyone who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We've had several more come in this week. That was really exciting. We're almost at 300 on those. Oh, my gosh. Can we just get to 300? 300 reviews. Get us there so Kristen will shut her trap. The reviews help us out in such a huge way. And so if you liked this episode and you have an iPhone, we would love it if you'd take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Drops? What is that from? BC Boys? No. Book! <laughs> Bye, peeps and creeps.